The Investment Podcast, brought to you by M&G. This podcast is for investment professionals only. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Investment Podcast. My name is Romil Patel, and today I'm joined by Will Nickel, Chief Investment Officer for Private and Alternative Assets at M&G Investments. Welcome, Will. Great to have you here today. No, thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. The world of alternative assets is gargantuan, with assets under management topping $13 trillion in 2021. And it's estimated that this will surpass $23 trillion by 2026, according to Prequin. However, today's global picture is complicated, with risk aplenty. And in this instalment, we'd like to look at what this means for the world of alternative assets. Will, as inflation in major economies sets 40-year highs, we're in deeply negative real interest rate territory the dominant theme of 2022. What does this mean for investors in private assets? That is the question. It it is very difficult to really try to work out exactly how that's going to play out. Um, I think if you look at any particular markets at the moment, we have not seen the yield curve and, and the fixed income markets look quite so different to the inflation outlook. Um, I certainly can't remember that in, in my working career. And, and I think it's quite difficult to see that when, when you go back in, in history. So I think to try try to speak with certainty ab- about what that is going to mean for investing in private assets, I think is extremely difficult. The, the one thing I would say is that, the, as you said, the private asset markets are extremely wide and, and growing strongly. So whether we are thinking about something like infrastructure debt uh, that may well have an inflation linkage in various different ways, and and therefore you have an extremely attractive outcome for investors, uh, certainly compared with with fixed rate assets, uh, even down to to most standard private assets are actually in the debt side of floating rate. And then again, that gives you quite a good amount of protection against rising interest rates, uh, all the way through to to real assets. You know, you've you've got the, the various uh, real estate uh, markets that are presumably over time will have a linkage through to inflation, although clearly that that's not one for one as you go forward in the next couple of years, through to distressed markets, through distressed markets. The, the, the difficulty with, with, with the question, sadly, is, is that there's, there's such a, an enormous width of different assets. You're bound to find some that I think will do very well in a period of, of slight confusion and, and in a period where, you know, if, if people are less willing to take risk, you, you should see some quite interesting prices coming through, which we're already starting to see, um, through to other areas where you may see that the people have slightly overextended themselves over the last few years when money was extremely cheap and, and where leverage might have been a bit high. And, and, and therefore, you, you might see some, some parts of the corporate market where, uh, you know, highly levered corporate um, uh, balance sheets may not be able to cope with an environment of raising rates, and certainly with an environment that might seem a little bit more recessionary. So, so the answer is, it, it, it's it's not quite as simple as saying it's all going to be good or it's all going to be bad. It's going to be incredibly mixed across across the whole area, and, and it requires everyone to have a very deep idea about what each asset class is trying to do and what the drivers behind each asset class are. And so that inevitably begs the question, how do investors make sense of what is a very broad asset class? 
Yeah, and I think I think there's two or three ways of doing this. The, the first way is that as an investor, you, you if, if you have a very clear view of what you're trying to achieve, then I think private assets can be extremely helpful. So if, for example, there is a return target that is that is where you need to be you know, cash plus two all the way to cash plus eight uh, over a particular period of time, then private assets, by the very fact they are tend to be illiquid and, and tend to be um, quite specific in the areas that they are approaching, means that you can end up building a portfolio either of debt or, or private equity or of real estate that, that would look to try and achieve those aims. So I think that that's one area that that's clearly easier in some ways. If, on the other hand, you are looking at, at some just profit maximization, then it comes down to, I think, a more thematic view of, of where you see that the risks are likely to come through over the next few years, and and, and therefore which bits of the markets might or might not have overreacted. And, and the, the, the slight difficulty here is that all private markets will uh, move normally slower than the public markets, but but equally some, some will move faster than others. So, so for example, if I look at the ABS market, the asset-backed security market in the public side, clearly has reacted already in the same way as public markets have. The, the private ABS market has therefore also moved at the same same uh, pace. So, so in that case, if, if you see that there are some reasonable value coming through in the, in the public side, then on the private side that's come through too. When you look at some other markets, then it takes a little bit longer for, for the various different uh, views to, to feed through. Um, and if you think about, you know, a lot of public, uh, sorry, a lot of private assets may have a three to six month lead in time, then, then you would expect to see the pricing gradually adjust uh, as we work out whether the recent turbulence in public markets is, is short term or is actually going to be a little bit more long-term, at which point the assets come out. So, so there's definitely a timing issue that one has to look at. And, and I think that, you know, clearly as, as fund managers, part of our role is to make sure that we are uh, always looking out for, for that timing and looking out for when the value approaches, because it, it's, it's in, you know, we know it's impossible to, to know exactly what's going to happen in the future, but certainly it is quite a lot easier to see where value is turning up and where value is appearing. And, and that at the moment, because of the way the world is, that tends to be in the, in the asset classes that are more linked to public assets, but, but that will shift dramatically over the next couple of months, depending on where the public asset markets go. And it's fair to say that timing in uncertain times will involve deft risk mitigation. Um, what are some of the top risks on your radar and how are you managing these? The interesting thing with private assets tends to be if, if you are if, if you're going to be limited in being able to sell them, then then almost the whole discussion is is about risk mitigation because once you've bought an asset, in general, you're going to be holding it. And in general, if, if you've got the risks right, then, then that will be quite calm. Uh, and if you've got the risks wrong, then you'll be working quite hard to make sure that you are mitigating them as they go through. So in terms of, of risks for, for any assets, you're always, and you're any illiquid assets, you're always looking at an interest rate risk and whether you've mitigated that. And as I say, a lot of the private markets are floating rates. So, so in many cases, that, that's not so important. Um, you're also looking at financing risk. So in, in, in 
quite a lot of cases, and, and we tend to do a lot less of this, but in a lot of cases there's actually been leverage placed on private asset markets. And so the, the availability of leverage or the cost of that leverage coming through, I, I think that is also something that to the private asset markets as a whole is going to be quite important. As I say, we, that, that's not something that we tend to do in, in most markets and therefore I think that's that's less of a of, a, of an issue for us, and and then you you do have the the geopolitics which which drives everything in the end um, about firstly the, the the simple geopolitics in terms of of you know access to markets and access to areas. So uh, we, for example, do quite a lot of, of of assets in emerging markets in in impact. In emerging markets, and therefore, it, it's always you need to be very careful to, to look at the um, any global themes that are changing the risks associated with investing in those markets. And, and then there's there's the, the next element of of the private markets, which I think is is also fascinating in that a lot of the new technologies, a lot of the um, ability to to transform our economies into a very much more carbon neutral or, or even carbon negative uh, outcome uh, are going through the private markets, whether that's private equity or whether that's private debt. Many of those companies aren't yet at the sort of size that would go to the, to the public markets. And so uh, you have another whole set of risks or, or opportunities um, with dealing with how um, emerging uh, technology is, is going to disrupt uh, either some of the assets you've already got in, in for example, some of the infrastructure space, um, or or whether you're going to be able to get the sort super sort of super normal returns that you'd expect to get from from investing in in more exciting parts of the market where where things aren't developed. And just staying on the subject of impact, Will, uh, as we mentioned earlier, assets under management in alternatives are projected to surpass $23 trillion by 2026. That's a growth of just under $10 trillion in five years, according to data provider Prequin. Just how sizable is the opportunity to address lasting positive impact via private markets, given the long-term time duration of strategies? And also the nature of close engagement with investee companies. I think that's that's a great question because the answer is that it is almost impossible to overstate. I think how important private markets are going to be to impact, uh, and and uh, therefore how how much impact investment is 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 in the other way going to have to go through private markets, and and I think part of that comes from just the structure of the markets. So if you think about public markets then then that is dealing with tends to be dealing with larger companies certainly on the debt side and, and they tend to be uh, companies with with multi-strategy whereas if you're thinking about the private side you end up with quite a lot of assets that are either single strategy or, or are projects that you can very clearly delineate and, and measure so if we think that impact one of the most important things about impact is to be able to measure what that impact is then, then I think you end up being being driven down the, the route of private markets um, and that also means that that as we deal with with smaller companies we're able as, as well with the sort of interactions that we have and the engagement that we have to drive um, governance and to drive social agendas as well which I think is, is also very important because a lot of these companies will end up being 
you know, large multinational public companies, I'm sure, at some point. And and so the help that we can give them to start with in terms of where, where we think their governance should be or, or what social aspects they can add. I, I think the, the other thing that about the private markets is because you tend to be getting quite early, you can do things that I think just just probably aren't available elsewhere. So when I think about our investment into carbon negative housing, that, that's just not something that's available in the in the public markets at the moment. Or if you think about carbon capture, so so through our catalyst funds, uh, we we've been able to to invest in in some really very early stage companies that, that are doing things that, that could fundamentally change the way that either um, climate uh, and, and the various other problems there work, or, or indeed social ideas such as, as housing and climate together when you think about carbon negative housing. So it, it is, I, I think that's one of the, the big growth engines of private markets over the next 10, 20 years. Um, if you think about the private markets as a whole, there's really only two big drivers. The first driver is you're still seeing banks changing what they're doing, and you're still seeing the market, certainly in Europe, uh, absorbing um, that area away from the banks, and I think making a more robust whole set of capital markets. But but the other driver that we have is, is clearly impact, uh, watching as, as investors become more and more serious uh, about making sure that their money is, is having a measurable and positive impact on the world. And, and I think that those two things together means that you're, you're going to have growth of the public mar private markets over the next five, ten years, just from the, the, the way the banks are moving. And, and from the impact discussion, then you're going to have a, a growth driver over the next 20 years uh, as we look to try and fundamentally change quite a lot of the economies of the world. I mean, this, this is a, a significant and real shift that, that's going to require a lot of money, and it's going to require a lot of money to, to take a bit of risk in, in terms of, of working out what, what the future technologies are and, and, and how they're going to work best and, and, and how that's going to uh, fit in with the established markets. And finally, before we go, Will, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you for your final thoughts as we enter the second half of the year. Over to you. I think that the world is in a, in a really quite extraordinary place. It is very, very rare, as I said before, to see interest rates and inflation and, and growth all looking the way they do and looking completely out of kilter. And which I think, is, is, and, I, and everybody who's listened to this will understand that it's very difficult to see where to invest and, and, and how to invest. And, and so the, when you look at the, the, the public markets and the private markets, I mean, there are areas, as we well know, that, that will be extremely successful over the next five, ten years. And, and, and therefore, the way that, the, that I'm looking at it is that a lot of this, the change that we're going to see over the next five or ten years, whether that's in impact, whether that's in climate, whether that's in emerging technologies, whether that's in energy, it are going to come through the private markets. And, and they are going to be areas that, that are developing uh, fundamentally over the next five, ten years, uh, which will be extremely good investments. Uh, it may be more difficult to see it at the moment. I think also that when you look at some, some of the, the existing investments, we, we were in a period of volatility. And periods of volatility clearly throw up opportunities as, as, as well as, as regrets. So I think it's all quite exciting. I, I think we are in, in, a, in a 
very interesting position where it is not clear exactly how central banks are going to work. It's not clear exactly whether we're going to go into a recessionary environment or not. It's not clear, because we haven't done QE before, how quantitative tightening is going to happen. But each of those things is adding volatility to the market, and, and therefore opportunities are appearing already. There are going to be significant opportunities coming through over the next one or two years, which will produce investments that that will be extremely uh, attractive uh, and beneficial for investors coming through over the next five, ten years following. Uh, but as I say, the most important thing at the moment is to be opportunistic and, and is to be very aware of what you're investing in. And I think in the private markets, particularly why you are investing in that area. Well, sadly, that's all we have time for in today's episode of the Investment Podcast. Thanks indeed to Will Nickel, CIO of Private and Alternative Assets, for sharing his perspectives. And indeed to you, our audience, for tuning in. Until next time, it's goodbye for now. This podcast is for investment professionals only. For further information, please view the notes which accompany this episode. The value of investments will fluctuate, which will cause prices to fall as well as rise, and investors may not get back the original amount they invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information and views expressed should not be taken as a recommendation, advice, or forecast.